This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is presented by my delightful and important and vital Patreon members where you can become a member by going to patreon.com slash chase thomas writer again that's patreon.com slash chase thomas writer become a member make a five dollar month donation it's like a cup of coffee a month just like a, any other subscription to the new york times the new york post slate magazine the chase thomas podcast we're all one and the same that's what people are saying and you can support the show by doing that today it would be great in continuing to put out as much content as I am. Because guess what? I'm doing seven pods a week, sometimes more. We are doing interviews with pro wrestlers, former NBA players, NBA GMs, coaches, college coaches, college ADs. We are doing movie reviews on Sundays uh, that you can find with Muse and Thomas. Every single Sunday, we're reviewing a different movie. Uh, Monday through Friday, we're getting NBA, NFL, college football, Major League Baseball, team beat writers. You're getting pro wrestling analysis. You're getting the sports reporters. Reporters. What is it? I don't even know. America's favorite sports writers? I think that's what we're calling it. On Friday with some of the best sports writers and sports thinkers on the internet today. We are doing all this every single day. New content every day. You know what else I'm doing every day? I'm writing every day. You can read my Monday uh, Atlanta sports column. That comes out every Monday. On Tuesdays, you can read my Monday Night Raw recap. On Wednesday, you can read my Impact Wrestling recap. On Thursday, you can read... Hold on, let me check my notes here. I'm not sure off the top of my head. I'll come back to it. On Friday, the Friday mailbag. Um, Oh, I know what I'm doing on Thursday. We're doing the AEW Dynamite review. On Friday, we're doing the Nobody Asked Mailbag, like I said. Maybe that'll turn into an actual mailbag. If you would like to send... Uh, those you can do so by going to emailing me at chase podcast at gmail.com um, you can read my smackdown recaps on saturday morning you can read my newsletter that goes out every saturday morning we'll eventually have a tiny letter or Substack stack uh, once i get that pesky po box but i will update you all soon and then uh sunday volunteers yeah every saturday guess who's in knoxville me guess who'll be covering tennessee football tennessee basketball for the next several years maybe ever me balls go go read my stuff um you can read all of it at chase thomas podcast.com i would highly encourage you to check it out chase thomas podcast.com slash page hyphen 11 where you can read all my stuff get access to all of my episodes all that good stuff go to apple subscribe there leave me five stars leave a review help the show continue to grow and move into that top 200 permanently on apple podcast subscribe on spotify tell a friend share the show this intro is three minutes long that's entirely too long for an intro too long and i just did a long pause i don't know why all right uncle darren let's go
Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Matt Wyatt here, film study conversation for the Chase Thomas podcast. Looking back at that Mississippi State win at number six at the time, LSU, 44-34 the final, a 10-point win. And we know there was a flurry for both teams in the second half, but I'm going back to one play that I thought was a, a big momentum touchdown. All touchdowns change the momentum of games. But this is one that put Mississippi State ahead going into the halftime locker room. And I thought that was a really important factor in the game, the fact that State was in that halftime locker room with the lead and uh, confidence and momentum and a chance to talk about the fact that they uh, have a chance to go win the game. So if you go back to that second quarter, there was a flurry of uh, activity. To begin the second quarter is when State, with a 3 nothing lead, threw a pick six. Okay, And it was on a crossing route, similar to the mesh concept that I'm going to talk about here that is such a staple of the air raid offense. So that's not the play, the the pick six, but it plays into this. If you go back and you look at that, KJ Costello deep in his own territory is um, lining up in the shotgun. He's got uh, receivers right and left, and the inside receiver to his right was Austin Williams, who ran that shallow crossing route right across his face. So uh, he goes ahead, you know, off the line of scrimmage, five yards, across the face of the quarterback and across to the other side of the field, shallow. And he had a defender, Jabril Cox, the linebacker, trailing him. And K.J. Costello tried to fire it in there, threw it behind the receiver just a little bit, but because Cox, in man-to-man coverage, undercut that shallow route instead of trying to stay on top of it, in other words, behind the receiver or on his hip, he jumped in front of him and undercut that and picked it off, took it to the house, picked six. So file that knowledge away. You undercut the route. He throws a pick six, and it gave LSU their first touchdown of the game, made it a 7-3 to ball game. Okay, so let's get to the play I want to talk about. State came back, took the lead, went on a drive, and uh, threw a touchdown pass, went up 10-7. to But then with five minutes or so left in the second quarter, LSU completed a drive that ended in the end zone with a two-yard touchdown pass and took the lead 14-10. to and so it was one of those things, as well as State has p- had played, you've only got five minutes left until half, 520 to be exact. LSU has just taken the lead, and now it was really um, the pressure put on K.J. Costello and that offense to go and see if you could regain that lead one more time before half. And if you do, you're going to make a statement. If you don't, and you give it back to LSU, and they had a chance to extend their lead going into half, it really would feel like the game had flipped. This was an important possession. And it ended with a 43-yard touchdown pass from K.J. Costello to Osiris Mitchell on that same crossing route, similar anyway, that he threw the pick six on earlier. Except this one is the mesh concept, the mesh route. Now, you've heard of rub routes or the pick play on the goal line, you know, used so famously several years ago by Clemson in the national title game against Alabama. You've heard of pick play. You've heard of rub routes. It's effectively the same concept, but it all began with this concept called the mesh route. In fact, when I was playing 20, 25 years ago, I remember coaches coming in and talking about this mesh concept and thinking about installing it. And we just, you know, a lot of schools never did because you didn't feel like you had time to rep it. Well, even way back then, Mike Leach, the offensive coordinator at Kentucky under Hal Mummy, was utilizing this mesh concept 
and whipping people's butt with it. All right, what is the mesh concept? It is that shallow crosser. Just like the pick six, where in that case, Austin Williams, a possession receiver, Mr. Reliable, was crossing the field in front of KJ Costello and was in tight man-to-man coverage. And his defender undercut it and jumped it and took it to the house on a throw that was a little bit behind him. The mesh route is not just a single receiver running across the field, shallow crossing. It is two receivers from opposite sides of the formation crossing each other on that shallow cross. And effectively, the one who's underneath or closest to the quarterback, it works a lot of times in man-to-man coverage as a pick play for that defender who is running with the crossing route. Or that's the idea anyway. So on this touchdown that was so important, a 43-yard TD with 227 left in the game in the first half that put Mississippi State back on top and gave them a lead at halftime that I thought was so important. So what happened on the play? The mesh concept, the shallow crosser this time was a single receiver to the right of a KJ Costello, Osiris Mitchell. Three receivers to the left, one to the right, and Mitchell the one to the right. When he crosses in front and meshes with that receiver, the man-to-man coverage of LSU, one guy running with the crosser from the left, another running with Mitchell from the right, those defenders had to adjust their position just a little bit to make sure they didn't run into each other and not, you know, knock each other down completely. And that's the concept of the mesh. They mesh with each other right in front of the quarterback. When those defenders adjusted, it put Ricks, number one, the cornerback for LSU, trailing full speed, running full speed, trailing Osiris Mitchell. K.J. Costello said after the game that he had flashbacks to that pick six, trying to drill it in there on a dead run, and the undercutting defender jumped it, caught it, took it to the house. Ricks, the corner, did the same thing. He ran underneath. He undercut the route between the quarterback and the receiver. And and instead of a line drive throw, um, Costello lofts it up, throws it over the shoulder, effectively, of Osiris Mitchell. And that's one of the things about the mesh route. Two shallow crossers, like running a slant, and they cross each other in front of the quarterback. But if they get man-to-man coverage, which tells them to continue their routes, continue running, if it's zone coverage on the mesh, they'll mesh and then hook up in the zone, in a open spot, in a sweet spot. But if it's man, they've got a defender with them. They just run away from that defender. Keep going. And in this case, Mitchell kept going. And the closer you get to the sideline, the more it turns upfield into more of a vertical route. Does that make sense? So instead of continuing to run shallow and cross the field and just run to the sideline, you start to bend that mesh route up and run vertically. He had just begun to bend it up and run vertically. That created some separation behind Ricks, the DB who had undercut the route. And because of a perfect throw and decision by Costello to get it in the air, to put some air in the throw, Ricks elevated, jumped, missed it by a fingertip. It falls into the hands of Osiris Mitchell, hauls it in, and there's nobody left. It wasn't a coverage bust, but because the cornerback on that side Uh, other than Ricks, opposite Ricks, had run deep, covering a deep third of the field as a part of his responsibility on the top of that defense, he was out of the picture. 
So once Osiris Mitchell hauled it in, he hits the sideline, outrun the defense to the end zone, and with an extra point, it was 17-14, to and it regained the lead for State, put them ahead in the halftime locker room, and I think gave them the confidence they needed to go and win the football game. I'm Matt Wyatt for the Chase Thomas Podcast. Welcome to a Friday afternoon edition of America's Favorite Sports Reporters on the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am now joined by two first-timers on this weekly roundtable that we do every week with some of my favorite sports writers, sports analysts in the country. I have in the Northeast, not Robert Silverman, Silverman of the Daily Beast this week. He's taking the week off. No, we got Mike Mazio in New York. Mike, good afternoon. How are you? Doing well, Chase. How are you? I am uh, I'm doing pretty pretty well. Better than uh better than uh people who are not happy about Fernando Tatis's bat flips. I'm doing better than them uh this morning. Um <laughs> back in my home state and my home city in Atlanta, Georgia, Mark Zeno. Mark, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Oh, Chase, good to be here, man. Thanks. I'm excited you're here and I'm excited that we we got this uh off the ground, and we're going to have some cool stuff to talk about today. Um, I want to start off. Um, we have game two of the NBA Finals tonight. We have the Miami Heat um, down 0-1 after losing on like a basically like a 40-point run by the Los Angeles Lakers in game one. Um, Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo are both doubtful for this game. Not feeling good about this. It feels like we're inching towards inevitability with the Lakers... Mark, what are you thinking about the series, and what uh, what 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 do you think about the finals as a whole right now? Well, listen. Uh, clearly, the Lakers are the more dominant team at this point in time, and Miami has uh, not against all odds, but against the big odds, you know, managed to get to this point. And they've done it on the back of Jimmy Butler. And by the way, everybody should have a Jimmy Butler in their life. Not every sports team should have a Jimmy Butler on their team because, well, who doesn't love Jimmy Butler? But. That said, this may just be too much for them to overcome, um, especially if they're shooting this well from the outside. I, like I yeah. can give a couple Timberwolves. <laughs> <laughs> that may be the case, but still, they wish they had him wearing their jersey and not uh, one of the Miami Heat jerseys. So, um, so, so the Philadelphia 76ers, by the way, but neither here nor there. But again, yeah, I, I just think when Anthony Davis is making threes and that many of them from outside, it's just changing the game offensively for LA. And uh, they're going to be really, really tough to slow down. Short of Davis having a really off night and them getting absolutely nothing from the bench. You know, LeBron has had those games in the postseason where he still put up great stat lines of 30 plus, you know, 10 and 9. Uh, and, and these teams end up losing because nobody's been there to help them out. So that's the only way I think really Miami gets a game in this series is that if, you know, they just have a really off night all around. But it's the Lakers' title to lose at this point. Mike, what do you think? Uh, I don't really have much to add. I mean, the Lakers have the two best players in the series. They were the heavy favorites going into it. You know, I mean, now with, with Bam and his defensive versatility out of there and Goran and his, you know, ability to score off the bench. I mean, I, I don't know if he comes back. I mean, when I was covering the Nets for ESPN, you know, they had Joe Johnson during the Chicago Bulls series in the first round uh, before they made the big, you know, KG Pierce trade. He had the torn plantar fascia and game seven shot two for 14. And that, you know, changed the Nets, uh, franchise basically forever because they sort of reacted to the, you know, the Bulls first round loss and making a huge deal. So, I mean, I, I don't even know what you get from him if he comes back in the series and that's just crushing for them because they just don't have that many 
you know, scoring option. I mean, maybe none plays like a Della Vadova role, you know, back in 2015 when the Cavs lost uh, Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving and LeBron was kind of on his own with all these, you know, no-name guys out there and they won a couple of games. I mean, maybe they could pull that off. But like, uh, you know, like you said, it's it's really is the, the Lakers title to lose. And uh, the way that AD and LeBron are playing, I mean, it's, it's tough to foresee Miami winning four of the next six games. It's tough, but if there is any team that looks at this and listening to Jimmy Butler's interview yesterday, like he's not nervous. And this is just like another thing for him to be like, Oh, I I got this. And they're going to have to maneuver. They're going to have to figure stuff out. Like Spo more than any other coach, I think in in the bubble has been able to kind of recreate on the fly. Cause they play a very different style of basketball than what they're playing in the regular season. Duncan Robinson did not have a first good game. Like if he goes off and goes nine for 10 from three tonight, does that change the series? Does Tyler Hero just, is he at least somewhat more passable on defense where the Lakers are not just putting him in pick and roll after pick and roll? Does Rondo not hit those crazy James Harden threes that he hit? Does KCP have another good game? Because, like, there's the thing about the Lakers is just there's no answer for AD on the Heat roster right now. Like, Bam Adebayo is the best option, and this is not a, not a thing that's looking good for them right now with just what's going on with him physically. But... I I don't know. I, I still like a lot of the pieces that the Heat can still throw out. And I think we're going to see Dragic and Bam Adebayo make, make a run of it at some point in the series. Um, probably Bam first, but like you see reports that he doesn't want to take painkiller shots, um, which is a little concerning. But um, I don't know. I think there's still just too much resiliency with this Heat team. And they've come too far. And they're too well coached to like kind of roll over. So the, the sweep stuff just feels a little too premature and I really want to see how they come out without two of their just linchpins um, in this bubble. And then what Jimmy does is Jimmy take a bigger role. Does Jimmy put, take a lot more shots? Does Tyler hero have a crazy game like he did in the Boston series. Like does those are all possibilities. And I think the heat have more possible breakout guys than the Lakers do the Lakers just have there too. And that's those two are amazing. And they're like you guys said, the two best players in the series, but I'm just fascinated to see if other guys that we were not expecting on this Heat team to just have a crazy game too. Does Kendrick Nunn just go 28, 10, and 5 tonight? Like, that is not out of the realm of possibility to me. Is that fair? Or am I just too much of a Heat optimist? I don't know if you're too much of a Heat optimist. Uh, I think that, you know, the other thing you have to remember, we keep talking about, you know, the big two for L.A., they are getting contributions from their other guys. It's not like they, it's just, you know, we're just not talking about them as much. I mean, if you go back to all LeBron's teams, when he was on the losing end of a finals, it's because that third person never stepped up, right? Like when he was losing in the Cleveland, it's because Kevin Love wasn't really involved or, you know, uh, when in Miami, Chris Bosch wasn't involved enough. You know, I mean, it was one of those things where I think we're just forgetting um, as much as the, the rest of the, the, this team isn't really all that great. Dwight Howard's been really good. KCP's been good. Um, those have been consistent players again, and not stuff in the stat sheet, but those guys are a big part of why, um, you know, they're winning in dominating fashion like they did in game one. So uh, I, I think we're overvaluing sort of the rest of the Lakers team, or I should say undervaluing the rest of the Lakers team and sort of overvaluing uh, the big two as far as what they're doing on a game in game out basis. Yeah. Mike, any final thoughts on this series and, if the the Heat would would you be surprised if the Heat ended up still winning the series with all their injuries? Would you be like floored? Yeah, 
A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Be, if they were able to come back, if they were able to come back, I mean, they have, you know, one start of the other teams two, and he's probably the third guy if you were to draft a three. Um, and then, you know, with their supporting cast and, you know, go on probably being a, a non-factor the rest of the way. Again, like, like I said, just the history of Joe Johnson covering that firsthand. I mean, the guy just was a 25 per, points per game scorer, you guys know, in Atlanta. Um, and then was just totally neutralized. He, he couldn't move. Um, so you lose that guy who's a huge piece. And then you're down Bam, who's your second best player, arguably maybe your best player all around. Um, you know, I'd be, yeah, I'd be stunned. It would be one of the greatest upsets probably in, in playoff history for that team to beat, you know, despite the fact they have a phenomenal coach and the phenomenal culture and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, it would be stunning for the Lakers to lose right now. It's not on my list, but I got to ask you as a Nets, as someone very familiar with the Nets, um, how much did you enjoy Kyrie Irving's Instagram video today? And uh, the the new controversy surrounding Kyrie, <laughs> Kevin Durant, and LeBron James. That was not directly targeted at LeBron James or Steve Nash. Things are going right. great in, in Brooklyn. Already. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of NBA stuff for Yahoo this year, and I definitely wanted to give those guys a chance because I'd never been around them. Even KD, I mean, he's, he's really barely spoken at all because he was out the whole year. He's got a new podcast. Uh, Kyrie, he's was saving just, the takes for the podcast. Right. Right. It was just, it was definitely, you know, especially when he's injured and it was like, what's the deal? Um, you know, and then he obviously finally decides to have the surgery and then that puts him out for the year. It was always, a, you know, definitely a circus, I would say. And I just, you know, even going back to the comments about Nash and, and coaching by committee, like if Greg Popovich was a coach and the Nets wanted Greg and that was always going to be, you know, basically a long shot and it didn't happen. If Greg Popovich is the Nets coach, is he saying that, hey, you know, I could be head coach one day, KD could be coach one day, even if those guys are trolling and enjoying the reaction everybody else has, I just think there's a respect level there that you need to have for whoever your coach is. Um, you can't come off the bat for a guy who's never done this before, and it's literally ring or bust uh, for two years, you know, because those guys can, KD can opt out or whatever. You know, if, the Nets, if it doesn't work, it's basically two years, and if it doesn't work, that's it. Those guys probably leave for greener pastures somewhere else. So I, I just, it, it wasn't the footing that I would be starting off with. And then, yeah, the LeBron comments. I mean, Kate, uh, Kyrie's hit the biggest shot in, in arguably in basketball history um, to beat the Warriors in game seven. I mean, it was a tremendous shot, but then I think, you know, I've seen LeBron's numbers late in games in the final two minutes of playoff games and they're fantastic. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know where he's going with that. It, it just, the whole thing seemed very unnecessary, but obviously very Kyrie, um, you know, he'll, he'll use it as motivation, however he does, but it, it didn't come off well. And I don't know what the heck he's going to say tonight. Cause you just never know. Mark. Who would you rather coach, Kyrie and Kevin Durant for three years or Kawhi Leonard and Paul George for three years? Who would you rather have as the faces of your locker room? Uh, I'd lean towards, uh, towards Kawhi and Paul George. Mm. Um, they're a lot less outspoken. Um, you know, a lot of whatever goes on goes on behind the scenes, and that's, you know, you can say what you want publicly about those guys, but they keep a lot of their stuff in-house, and it's always easier and better to deal with when you got guys who keep stuff in-house as opposed to guys who are out there publicly on social media relentlessly, uh, ask any coach. They'd rather have the guys who keep silent and, and don't say much in this case than the guys who talk too much on social media and create too much of a buzz around stuff that doesn't have to do with basketball. I'm not going to lie. And I will just add yes. quick. I will just add quickly, sorry to cut you off. Um, you know, the talent there is phenomenal with, with Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Irving. They're both won championships. So, I mean, what do they have to prove is basically that they can kind of lead the teams them, themselves, I guess, so to speak. But, um, you know, again, this outside noise stuff, I guess it will be a significant factor if they don't pull it off. But if they somehow win a championship the next two years, none of it will matter. It'll just be, you know, kind of a marathon, I'm sure, like it was with 
you know, Golden State, Cleveland, all those teams and all the buzz around them. If you, in fact, reach your goal, and again, it's title or bust, you know, everything is great. Everything that you said about Steve Nash and LeBron, you know, before you started playing and teaming up together, finally both healthy, uh, won't matter. But if they don't get it done, then it, it, it just sets up, you know, a whole sort of TikTok about how things fell apart. And I'm sure everybody goes back to this thing, right? New coach coming in. And all of a sudden, here you are saying, oh, no, it's coached by committee. I coach one day. Katie coaches the other day. Steve Nash will coach, you know, whoever else is on the staff, whatever. Um, it's just it's not a good look. I mean, the Nets built this whole culture thing, which, I, you know, is probably the most overused word in sports right now. And, you know, clearly it's, it's not working the way it was when they were a college team. And, you know, Sean Marks was at the top and Kenny Atkinson was coaching a bunch of developing players and guys that wanted to resurrect their careers. Now it's literally winter bus time. You know, Katie and Kyrie probably make a hundred million combined each year. They're, they're basically corporations themselves and they're going to be running the show and it's going to succeed or fail, you know, based on whether they're healthy and productive players on the floor at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I, I get excited when I see Kyrie uh, said something new or I get excited when I watch his Instagram videos because he's just, I, I don't know if he's trolling. That's the ultimate troll is that I don't know if he knows. And he is hilarious. Like, he is objectively hilarious. Like, I was laughing watching him pretend that he's not starting anything. Like, he's just... the the Just the word vomit that just... Come, like, not even... What can we call this? Like, where he just says these words and he throws all of them together and he says nothing. Just like a smorgasbord of words that he likes. And he throws them all together. And then he's like, ah... That that's how I'm feeling, but he's happy and he's just saying whatever and he's just bouncing around and I I don't I don't know it's I can't tell if he's trolling and that is the ultimate troll in my opinion, um, but we'll we'll see what happens there we'll we'll see what happens um in Brooklyn but I think it's going to be interesting nonetheless and I miss Kevin Durant being in my basketball life um to move on guys. The Jets and the Giants, two teams that you guys are both very familiar with. I unfortunately had to watch the New York Jets play football last night where all of their off- offensive tackles went down. So Sam Darnold uh, sacked six times, hurried a bunch. Adam Gase and the New York Jets fall to 0-4. The Giants, the other New York team, looked just as abysmal last week at home against the 49ers. Both these franchises seem like they're in shambles. Saquon Barkley out for the year. The tank for Trevor is on. But what's interesting is both of these teams just invested in a first-round quarterback within a three-year span. Mike, I'll start with you. If you're the Jets and or the Giants and you get the number one overall pick, are you comfortable taking Trevor Lawrence and and just punting on this and trading Josh Rosen style for either of those guys? Or do you trade the pick for the biggest draft day haul of all time? What do you do? I think it kind of depends how you finish, right? I mean, if you're both those teams and you're picking number one, chances are you either went like one in 15 or you went 0 in 16. So whoever your quarterback is probably was terrible. There's a lot of reasons for that. Coaching, they didn't surround them enough personnel. There was injuries, you know, a variety of factors. Um, You're going to be in shambles at that point. And who knows who's going to be, you know, at least with the Giants, right? If they go in 16, Dave Gettleman's probably gone. I don't know how the Mara family, they love continuity, but, I don't know how they can keep him. So he's probably out. And then you're looking at a new GM who's going to want his guy in there. So I could definitely see Trevor Lawrence being their guy. If the new GM says, you know, I don't like Daniel Jones as much as the previous regime did, 
And so I want to go with my own guy. That's Trevor Lawrence. I have a higher grade. We'll go with him. Jets, same thing. Sam Donald is in his third year. He looks like he's regressing. He makes one or two plays a game where you're like, wow, that's the guy they picked third overall. But then there's the careless passes, the interceptions, not getting rid of the ball, missing open receivers. So if he's in his third year and you, again, as Joe Douglas, didn't draft him, um, probably have a new coach coming in. Adam Gates would be fired, obviously. I don't know how he's still the coach now. Apparently, it's because it would be more damaging to Darnold if he wasn't there. But again, you look at Darnold's numbers, Geno Smith, um, the other bus, you know, Christian Hackenberg, whoever, whoever the guys they've had, Mark Sanchez, they're all very comparable at this point, which is terrible. As Sam Darnold, talent-wise, is way better than either of those guys. Um, so you, you definitely would have a new coach in there, and Joe Douglas would have all this draft capital. And then, again, you could move a Daniel Jones or Sam Darnold for second-round pick, third-round pick, whatever you can get. Um, and then you take Trevor Lawrence first overall. If you're, you know, again, new regime coming in, want their guy in there. If they think he has a better trajectory than Jones or Darnold, you make the move, yes. Mark, what do you think? That was just way too, like, not emotional enough for me. <laughs> hey, listen, Trevor Lawrence is the best draft prospect since Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck was the best draft prospect since John Elway. There's no way you don't take Andrew. you don't take Trevor Lawrence. Either one of these teams would be lucky to get the number one overall pick, and you should drop those quarterbacks that they have right now like third period French. It's that simple. I mean, it just it, it, there's no legitimate reason to think that either one of these guys is going to be a better NFL quarterback than Trevor Lawrence at this point in time, given the way the NFL is going, given the way quarterbacks are nowadays, the way offenses are built. Those guys are, are, are not as good as Trevor Lawrence. And that said, Chase, I'll ask you a question. What would you rather do every week for the next 17 weeks of the year? Watch a Donald Trump, Joe Biden debate or watch the Jets and Giants square off each week playing football? Because I'd rather watch a damn debate because those two teams suck. And it's, it's painful to watch them both try to execute simple football things. And I'm a Giants fan. I mean, I, I, there's nothing else. The GM's got to go. Uh, I don't even think Joe Judge needs to stay around at this point in time. The organization, as you said, is in complete shambles, and they have no sign of being able to dig themselves out of it right now because ownership is lacking. The GM is, is in over his head on, in both of these situations, and, and the head coach is suspect at best. If you get a chance to take Trevor Lawrence, you do it. End of sentence. I like it. The Giants fandom has come out today. Um, I don't. Joe Judge is absolutely getting fired. I, I don't like it's. It was over when we realized that he was making them uh, do the Bill Belichick stuff in the offseason. It's always the the kiss of death when you're like, oh, he he thinks he's Bill Belichick, and he, you're gonna go do laps, and you're gonna go do this, and it's a no fun zone, and blah blah blah. Um, it never ends well with any of these ex uh, Patriot coaches. But um, I don't. I, I go back and forth on this too, where who do you even like better at this point? Cause like I've watched a bunch of Sam Darnold. I've watched a bunch of Daniel Jones. Who is even the better pro like, who do you think actually gets a better haul if they go on the market and either the jets, or the giants get the number one overall pick and trade Trevor Lawrence. Like who do you think actually brings in a bigger, bigger haul? Uh, I don't know. I guess Daniel Jones, right. just because he's the second, you know, this is his second year. Donald's a year ahead. I don't mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if you get more than a second or third round pick oh, uh, from either of these guys. But yikes. again, but again, but again, like you said, you're drafting Trevor Lawrence. So what's the difference? You know, you're just you're hoping to get a piece that maybe can help Trevor Lawrence or your defense because both the defense are in shambles and the teams just lack uh, lack playmakers on both sides of the ball. So you're hoping that whoever your G, you know GM, if you're the Giants, is, or if you're Joe Douglas, who's supposedly this great draft guru, he's going to hit on that pick, and so you're going to end up with 
the best quarterback who has a phenomenal trajectory and surround that guy with actual pieces, which again, both these quarterbacks, whether it's Daniel Jones or Sam Darnold, they have barely anything around them given the injuries, you know, poor drafting, poor free agent signings, you know, Le'Veon Bell being injured, um, not, you know, signing Robbie Anderson, who's having a fantastic time in uh, Carolina. You know, they don't have that home run hitter for Sam Darnold, obviously. Um, and so it's, it's a disaster. Both of, it's, it's a disaster. But whatever you could get for those guys, again, if you get a franchise quarterback that actually has a Hall of Fame trajectory, um, you know, whether Trevor Lawrence does or not, I have no idea. I mean, he probably, again, his, his college numbers speak for themselves, and certainly everyone's really high on him. You get that guy, and he's that guy, then, you know, put some, put some talent around him and let him go to work. I don't know. I just who is even the worst team? Like, and I go back and forth on this too. Where like Chris Hogan and this guy with the last name Smith catching passes last night. Jameson Crowder was Sam Darnold's best weapon, and obviously losing his tackles. Like Frank Gore is getting carries over Michael P. Ryan for whatever reason. Gase just does a lot of dumb stuff, like the second down, second and ten, running the football up the middle. Just a lot of dumb stuff, a lot of dumb play calling. But there's no talent anywhere, so. I am not envious of the situation Joe Douglas is going to find himself in because it's really hard for me to think that this is going to be an easy call like Darnold and whether or not you want to give up on him because he shows flashes. He didn't turn the ball over last night. It seems like he's it's just I don't know how to evaluate someone who's having to throw to Chris Hogan as his number one some nights like Daniel Jones. They like no Odell Beckham. Like there's no you have Sterling Shepard. You have a couple guys, but Barkley is gone, and that offensive line's still not great. Like how is it easy to evaluate where Daniel Jones is in his development? Like is it fair to these guys? And I, I don't know. I go back and forth on this, but like Zeno said, it's Trevor Lawrence. So unfortunately, you just you just do it, and uh, you hope that they figure it out somewhere else. But um, Zeno, I have another question for you. Back in Atlanta. If the Falcons yeah. go 0 and 16, Matt Ryan's contract is almost immovable. I think it might be immovable. Let's say they go 0 and 16 or 1 and 15, get the number one pick. Do you think they still take Trevor Lawrence or do they trade the ransom? And also, what would you do? Well, the Matt Ryan situation, as you mentioned, the contract is nearly untradeable until after 2021. Um, it, you know, it, it just, you're talking about a, 40 some million dollar cap hit. So uh, he's got to play out the 2021 season, but the idea of them taking a different quarterback solely rests on whether or not they have a new head coach and a new GM. I mean, it, look, it's this simple. And this is really behind the scenes. What I think is that the question that Arthur Blank is having a hard time answering, realizing that, look, if, if I bring in a new regime in here, even if I keep the GM, uh, and oh, by the way, I, I think Dimitrov has done a, a very good job. I don't, I don't think that he is as much to blame for this as Dan Quinn, because apparently he's, he's put enough talent on the field to get the lead through three quarters. Uh, the fourth quarter is not the GM's fault. It's the coach's fault. But different discussion for a different day. But that said, even if you bring a new regime in here, do you think a brand new head coach who literally only has maybe two to three seasons, if they're lucky, four, to assert themselves as a coach that is there for the foreseeable future, do you think that coach wants to tie their future to a quarterback who is 36, 37, and 38 years old in his first three years? The answer is no. I wouldn't. I, I, I don't care who it is because you know what's going to be happening? I'm going to be searching for a quarterback in year two or year three and having to start all over again. It's the same reason why Matt Rule did exactly what he did in Carolina. He signed Teddy Bridgewater to essentially what was a two-year deal, 
knowing that Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence were waiting in the wings. If they stunk with Bridgewater, they could go take those guys, have Bridgewater play one more year, and then shove him out after two years because it would cost him nothing dead on the cap to cut him eight before year three. So he was setting up saying, I got a seven-year deal. So if I'm going to change quarterbacks in year two, year three, well, you know, I bought myself an extra two or three years to prove that I'm the guy. But I don't know that a new head coach who walks in wants to do it facing a quarterback change halfway through the beginning of their tenure. And so that's the real challenge that the Falcons are facing. I mean, look, hypothetically speaking, if Eric Bieniemy is the guy, you think Eric Bieniemy wants to come from coordinating and writing game plans up for Pat Mahomes to then do it for Matt Ryan, who's a drastically different style of quarterback? Why would Eric Bieniemy want this job? With a, with a salary cap that doesn't have a ton of room or a ton of flexibility, you you got a bunch of older offensive stars who were long in the tooth and Julio Jones and, you know, uh, Jake Matthews is getting up there. Alex Mack is up there. Like, I mean, what is appealing about this job plus having to do it with a 36 or 37-year-old quarterback? Like, that's, that's not an appealing situation for a brand-new head coach. So I think that is the bigger challenge that this, this entire organization is facing and the owner is facing is that if I move on from this coaching staff, I'm likely going to be forced to move on from my quarterback because who am I going to hire that's going to take a quarterback who is on the back nine and back nine, back four or five of his career to stay here. I don't care how productive Matt Ryan is from a fantasy standpoint, the guy's not winning games, period. So, you know, again, I would want to come in there fresh with my own guy because if I'm going to lose the job, I'm going to lose it with the guys that I put there, not ones that they gave me. Mike, what do you think? What would you do? That's all you guys. I, I, <laughs> don't pretend to, I don't pretend to know anything about the Falcons. Well, they're doing great. I don't know if second. you knew this or not. But I don't think I've great. seen one second. Right. I don't think I've seen one second of Falcons football. So that's all you guys. You Atlanta guys. I have no clue what's going on over there. Things are going great. Um, we're, way, we're very close to turning it around. You've actually done yourself a favor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I got my work done throwback in the mail yesterday. So things are looking up, folks. And uh, <laughs> thing, things are looking up. I'm, I'm okay about it. Um, the Major League Baseball playoffs. Braves made it through. Good stuff. Fernando Tatis Jr. had my favorite moment of the playoffs thus far last night and have held off the Cardinals at least for one other day. The fun ruiners of St. Louis. But I've really, really enjoyed this new format and it brings me no pleasure because I hate this and I hate that there are like below 500 teams making the playoffs and there's a lot going on. It feels very March Madnessy this week in baseball, but it's fun. Like there's no way around like limited series or like a three game series is just fun. Like there's just so much pressure immediately. And it turns out folks when the stakes are raised and there are fewer opportunities to advance, there's more interest and it's more exciting. Um, Mark, what did you, uh, what have you made of the, the new playoff format thus far? I mean, I don't hate it. Um, I would hate to be a team over the course of a 162-game season to have it come down to a three-game series that decides whether I move on. I think this year it's okay because everybody only played 60 games, and really you don't know if the Lions would be good enough to do what they did over 162 games. You don't know even if the Padres would be good enough to do what they did over 162 games. So, I mean, listen, the Cubs got there. They started out, I think, 13-3, and and then were under 500 the rest of the way. But because they got out to a 10-game over 500 head start, it, it was enough for them to to hang on. And so I, I don't know if after 162 games I would want to go down this road. I think the, the AL, you know, the division series uh, and the LCS and the World Series are fine with me. I'm not a big fan of, of expanding the playoffs, but 
uh, you know, again, I, I think when you talk about this the expansion concept, it's just about revenue. They can make more money. They can get more TV deals. They can get more of everything um, by expanding the postseason, and, and that'll be the impetus behind them doing it eventually. Mike, what do you think? Awful. Just absolutely <laughs> atrocious. Are you being serious? Uh, yeah, it's an absolute joke and a disgrace to the game. I oh have covered my. a baseball. Whoa. I've covered Whoa. I've covered a baseball season for two hundred. I probably went to two hundred Yankee games in you know twenty seventeen, eighteen, whatever. Because like you know, covered them for the Daily News for a while. And when you're in Florida for six weeks and you're going through spring training and playing thirty, thirty five spring training games, and then you're playing one hundred sixty two regular season games, and you're flying, you know, twenty seven times for you know three game series or whatever. You know, you're doing all the road games playing all these home games, uh, going through that marathon um, to have it cheapen it where you could flip a coin and have a better chance of making the playoffs than the coin landed heads or tails. That's just absolutely asinine to me. I mean, I think there's too many in hockey and, and basketball where, you know, yeah, it's great fan interest, whatever, but there's got to be a reward for going through all that. I mean, MLB regular season probably needs to be shortened anyway, just like basketball, hockey, you can, you know, name them all. They're, Star players sitting out, you know, you've got something wrong there, whether it's too many back-to-backs or whatever. I know they've tried to cut that, but, you know, you go through that whole thing to, for it to be cheapened by, you know, having to go through a, a best-of-three playoff series just to get through. You know, I know there's some teams that can get buys or whatever, but bottom line is if you're going to do what they're doing now, you've got to give the team that, that went through the marathon. You know, maybe it's in a best-of-three, you know, the favorite has to win one. And the underdog has to win two. And you could kind of just go down the line until like the ALCS or something. Then finally, you know, okay, both teams are sort of on even footing. And one team gets that seventh game in their home ballpark as the, as the reward. And there's probably not even enough reward to begin with. Um, you know, again, playing these, you know, I like the idea of the wild card, the one game for that fifth place team. But again, I, I, I don't like it. I think it cheapens everything you have to accomplish in the, in the regular season. Just make a 60 game season if you're going to go 16 teams for ultimate chaos every year because it just cheapens the whole 162 going through spring training, you know, training for the season, all the things you have to do. It should be that sort of reward. Like when you pop that champagne, it should really mean something, not, oh, you know, we had an eight out of 15 chance going into the playoffs, so we'll just get in. Anyway, so that's, that's, uh, that's the way I look at it. Again, I get the whole revenue thing, but to me, it just cheapens the whole idea of going through that whole 200 games to get there before, you know, making the playoffs. I like your answer, but I wish you were a little bit more forthright and impassionate about your, your point of view on the new MLB playoff structure. I, I would look for a little bit more on that front, Mike. Um, Fair enough. I think, I think that's right, but I, I, I just, I can't lie where I just, I've enjoyed just having baseball on all day and just the chaos. Like I've enjoyed the chaos. I've enjoyed just seeing it all day long. It kind of reminds me of what was happening with the playoffs in the NBA when it was first starting, just having basketball on all day long. It was great. Um, I think once we go back to normal, whenever that may be, I think with like the 162 game season, like you're saying, will not feel as awesome because these teams, like no one wants to see a like 13 game below 500 Indians team run the table because they got in and had this great sneaky fluky run. So I think that it, that is true, but I, I wonder if this is going to stick like another thing that didn't stick, which I don't understand why is the second the runner on second base when extra started. Like, why did they not carry this over into the postseason? Why would you do this for the regular season and not the postseason? I don't understand. Did we get clarification on this? No, well, because 
no, I, I listen. I, I I actually didn't think I was going to like the runner on second rule. Yeah. When it first was announced, but I loved it during the regular season. I thought it was fun. It's great. I thought it was interesting. I, I like the strategy behind it. But part of the reason of getting to the postseason it is a test of stamina and a test of endurance, and your bullpen is a huge part of that to eliminate that strength that a team has over another by putting a runner on second and equalizing everything. I'm not a fan of in the postseason. I, I think what you saw from the Braves. And the Reds is great theater. Uh, every pitch is much more intense in the postseason uh, in extra innings because you know one swing could absolutely change the outcome of the game. Uh, I, I'm not in favor of trying to give you a manufactured run off a blue base hit or anything like that. Every, everything should be earned in the postseason. So I'm okay with the fact that they, just like in the NFL, you know, they have one rules overtime for the regular season and a different set of rules for overtime in the postseason. So I, I'm totally okay with them not doing it in, in the playoffs. I think it's fine. Hmm. Do you want to see it back next year full time and then in the playoffs? Do you want that to be a permanent thing? No, yeah, I would love for it to be, during the regular season. I'm totally okay with the runner on second during the regular season. During the postseason, it is just straight extra baseball, no changes, no, no rules or anything like that. Okay. I do love the all, I, I also love the doubleheader stuff. The seven inning doubleheader, I think, is something that needs to stay. I, I think that is uh, absolutely something that needs to stay on the radar. Um, Last topic, uh, quickly, that I wanted to get into with you guys. Uh, Doc Rivers moved quickly to get the Philadelphia 76ers job. Looks like a lot of jobs are starting to clear up, and we're getting lead candidates at a lot of different places. Um, do you like this hire for Philly? Mike, what, do you, what was your first reaction when you saw that Doc Rivers got the Philly job and how he will uh, handle getting Ben Simmons and Joel and be on the same page and writing this ship that uh, really fell off the tracks this year? Yeah, I mean, I mean, what do you? What's the first thing when you think of when you think of the Sixers? It's probably like circus and train wreck, um, and you know, obviously their front office instability is a disaster too. Uh, so this to me is like stability. The guy has a pedigree. Yes, he's lost three one playoff series, but not everybody can have you know an Eric Spolstra or have LeBron James. Um, so you know, you're gonna have to stick with the next best thing. This guy has won before. He's won a championship before. Commands respect. They need to harness in you know uh, Joel Embiid. And Ben Simmons, make sure these guys are in shape. They're playing hard. They're the dominant players everyone thinks they can be. Um, so again, whether you know they what they also obviously have a ton of decisions on the roster. And whether they're going to keep both those guys, you know, they have to get Tobias Harris somehow going. He's making a ton of money. Had his best you know career season in LA under Doc. So perhaps you somehow can get something going there. Um, then there's obviously a bunch of other decisions. You know, do they try to make a run at a Chris Paul to try to get some? you know, stability there. Um, that's, that's a question they have to ask themselves, obviously. Um, so, you know, at least he brings some command, you know, commands respect, has that proven track record. You know, it makes a lot of sense to me to, to, to hire. It, it seems like a hire. Mark, what did you make of the hire? Listen, I'm always a fan of teams that have struggling pasts and struggling presence and struggling futures, hiring a guy who's always struggling in the postseason. It makes the, uh, you know, uh, the anguish that much more better to watch from a distance. Oh my God. Fire from both of you guys today. See like doc one. That's the other thing. When I think about this conversation, it's like, yeah, he, he blew a, a big lead and all that kind of stuff. But like, he's won a title. He's still one of the best head coaches. Well, he in won basketball. a title in a different NBA though. That's a little bit different. You got to remember they were the first big three. There was, they mm-hmm. won in a different NBA in a different time when they put that title together. It's not the same now. Things are coached differently. The game is played differently. It's just a completely different game from when they won it. Remember, that's now going on 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. 
You know, it's almost a decade and a half ago. I mean, it, it just, it, I'm not taking it away from him. But when it comes to playing basketball the way it's played today, I, I don't think Doc's got the moxie to pull off another title on anybody else. I mean, if he's going to do it with anybody else, I mean, Philly, he, he's going to an easier path. He's back east. The west is just a gauntlet, and he's away from LeBron James again. I mean, he's got Giannis, but they're beatable. Um, we saw how close this team was two years ago when they had Jimmy. They're a bad bounce away from maybe winning the NBA Finals last year. Um, they are still close, but I am very fascinated to see what Doc thinks about the pairing and whether or not he wants to coach both. What if there are conversations they had in their uh, – they're schmoozing of the last 48 hours where it's like, I'm going with Embiid and we got to figure out where to move Simmons or does he, is he a bigger Ben Simmons believer than he is a Joel Embiid believer? Like I am curious how he views this roster and how he views the guys that they have right now, because this roster is really great. Like there is so much talent all across the board. They should be deep. They should be better. They should not have had the problems they had this year. I just, I'll never be a believer in the Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid fit and the Joel Embiid pairing, but I also just don't, like, it would hurt so much to trade one of them, and I would be sick over it, because I have no idea which one I would trade. Like, I, I'm not a big believer in bigs anymore, and I, like, Joel Embiid's injury history scares me, and if you want to bet on anybody, you always bet it on a wing or a ball handler over a big, but <sighs> Joel Embiid is so good, and he is still untapped potential, and he can still just be an absolute force and MVP in this league. Ben Simmons, you're not sure if he'll ever get there. And will he ever shoot? Does ben, this Doc Rivers come in immediately and like, okay, we're dropping this Brett Brown. You don't have to shoot threes in the corner anymore. Like your your shooting threes are like we're we're moving on from you because if you are not taking open threes, you're just sucking up too much oxygen in the half court, and we're never going to win a title. Like I am just extremely fascinated because I want to see the Sixers shake things up and make some moves because I think it will uh, have some big time effects around the league. Am, am I off base here, guys? No, you're not. Okay. No. The, the problem is that this is this is not the year to do it. There's nobody of consequence coming out in the draft that's going to alter a franchise. There's it, it's not an incredibly deep, you know, free agent off season that you can go and and you know pick somebody up that wants to join what you already have. You have two pieces that you know aren't cornerstones to build around. They're good players, but they're not guys you build around. And Embiid and Simmons. And the bottom line is, is that. If Doc does anything, I think year one is just going to be a trial year and try to sort of wait things out until the following summer when, you know, Giannis may be a free agent or, you know, things of that nature. Unless you can work out a sign and trade deal with somebody else. But honestly, I'd move on from both Embiid and Simmons at this point because I don't know that keeping either one of them is what you're going to do. You'd move around. on from both? This is wild. So, I mean, I, tell me the, what you have is definitive proof that you can build around either one of those guys. I mean, they almost won a title a year and a half ago. And no, 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 they almost the got to the finals. Team. Yeah, no, I mean, I think no, they no, would have no, won. No. They, almost, they almost got to the finals. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, okay. And, and, and still... I don't, I don't, I don't crown them that close. I, I, I really, and, and oh, by the way, they almost got there with Jimmy Butler, who is completely right. a different dynamic player yeah. than either Embiid or Simmons is. So that guy's not part of the equation anymore. If that well, guy's I think Embiid and Butler are close, and I didn't. I think they have a very di- similar I, I, I thought process. I don't know that Embiid elevates anybody else to be better. I think Jimmy Butler makes everybody around him better, 
And to that end, I don't think that you have any definitive proof that Embiid or Simmons is a guy that you can build around, period. Hmm. I don't know. I would... <sighs> Mike, who would you say... If you had to pick one, if you had to pick one, who would you feel more comfortable building around, building a contender around over the next three to five years? Simmons or Embiid? Who would you pick? Mm, probably go Embiid. I mean, like like you said, I'm I'm not huge on either of them, but... You know, Embiid is just such a talent. You just don't find guys like that on the street that can score the way he can. You know, if he figures it out, you know, defensively, all those other facets of his game, you know, hopefully the leadership comes. Um, that guy just could be a force. I mean, I agree. Uh, ben Simmons does so many great things well on the court. You know, can defend probably all five positions. Phenomenal passer, but, you know, can he ever learn to shoot? And, maybe, you know, Doc, maybe they do decide to keep him at the start and let Doc try to figure it out. Um, you know, if you bring in a coach that has that kind of pedigree that's worked with some players before, hopefully you can do that. I think I would go with Embiid. I would definitely keep somebody. I mean, they didn't bring Doc Rivers in to, uh, to blow the whole thing up. You know, they probably retool the roster, at least try to. Um, you know, because they probably, again, whether we view them as title contenders or not, I'm sure they view themselves where they're, you know, a piece away, whether that's the coach, another player, combo of both. Um, so I probably would go Embiid on that. But again, I mean, they, these guys, haven't won anything, you know, Embiid's injury prone, but he's young. And I think you got to stick with him because you obviously invested so much into him. I would just be, if I'm Elton Brand, I, Ben Simmons, like if he got traded to like Minnesota and you traded it for the number one overall pick and you took LaMelo ball and you just started over, like I would just be sick because there is a real avenue to Ben Simmons being a top three player in this league. There is still an avenue like he can do so many different things well. And if he becomes just an average three point shooter and he takes six to seven a game, shoots 32 percent, 33 percent, something like that. He's a top three player like he just is. And every like I would just be so terrified because Ben Simmons type guys don't come along very often. And he has all the potential in the world and i just i don't know if he'll ever get there with Embiid, but it's also just like it would suck so much to see him actually figure that part of his game out and become an mvp in minnesota like or wherever he gets traded because i think that is very much still a possibility like it would not surprise me if ben simmons wins an mvp at war in the next 10 years i, I think that's still a possibility for him and i think it's a possibility for Embiid. i just don't think it's a possibility with them playing together I don't know, but uh, we shall see. Um, to wrap up here, guys, uh, Mike, what can we check out from uh, from you? What would you like to plug before we get out of here on this beautiful Friday afternoon? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm doing some baseball writing for Forbes, so uh, I'll be probably writing primarily on the Yankees, which I used to cover. So uh, check me out there, um, at NYC on Twitter, and uh, all my stuff will be there. So it should be a fun baseball season, and we'll see what this, what's uh, what's next. All right. Uh, Mark, what would you uh, like for, before we get out of here? I'll just remind everybody, there's something away from sports. Check out my podcast, Hazard Ground. It's a military veteran-related podcast telling stories of combat and survival. There's nothing like it anywhere out there. If you're into uh, chronicling history uh, and hearing about some of America's greatest warriors, uh, check out the Hazard Ground. Follow me on Twitter, at Mark Zino, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Go do that, guys. Keep up the great work. Stay safe out there, and uh, thank you so much for the time. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having us, Chase. Thanks, Chase. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Did you like what you heard? 
heard? Do you like what you heard? I think is what I'm trying to say, right? That's what I'm trying to say. That's the correct English. Um, then guess what? Here's what you do. You go to Apple. You leave it five stars. You leave a review. You let people know why they should listen to this show. You go to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. You become a member. $5 a month. Go do it. You can do more. I'm not going to say no. Um, go to chasethomaspodcast.com. Read all my stuff. Podcast slash page hyphen 11. It's great stuff. Writing every day. Doing the pod every day. Support the best independent sports podcast today. No one's doing what I'm doing. Nobody can touch me. Let's keep this thing moving. Let's keep the lights on. Let's keep getting after it. I'm hyped up. Follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Thank you all for your support as this show continues to grow. We'll be back. Yeah, tomorrow. Because guess what? This show is daily and it's all thanks to you guys. Talk to you soon. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.